Well, this is week three of our series we woven, and uh, in the first couple of weeks we've been uh, beginning to uh, look at some of the specific skills that this series uh, allows us to unpack as we look to uh, not only become more uh, emotionally mature in the way that we engage the world, but in that we are free to do relationships in ways that reflect the great commandment, that we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. So last week, uh, uh, sorry, two weeks ago, we took our community temperature reading, and there is still an online quiz that you can do if you want to find out just how mature you're not, how you are, um, and uh, see, see where your starting point is. But we looked at some techniques, uh, some skills for beginning to lower the temperature uh, when relational conflict uh, rises. Then last week, we looked at what it might look like for us to stop trying to mind read, as if that's actually a good skill in relationships. Uh, unless you actually have telepathy, it's not a good skill. Uh, and so uh, we looked at what it might mean instead to clarify expectations, to, to remove assumptions from the way that we operate. Uh, and that's the second skill. The first skill is that we learn to lower the community temperature when it goes up. Uh, and the second skill is uh, that we learn to uh, stop mind reading, clarify assumptions and expectations. Now all of this is available in the workbook, uh, which you can purchase for a very cheap price. The link to that is in all the many emails that we have sent you. If you're struggling to find the link, we would love to make sure that you get what you need. And also the other way that we are resourcing this journey together is to do this in small groups. We have a number of small groups that are starting up in this season, as well as some that are continuing. Uh, and just because of the way things have unfolded this year with a little a bit of chaos uh, sewn into the mix, some of those new small groups are starting this week. Uh, so you're not too late to jump in. Some of them only started last week, and so there's still plenty of time to get involved. And if you'd like to do that, you can contact uh, Kristen. Again, uh, uh, tons of links for you to jump on. Uh, in the material uh, that we uh, have provided online. Well, I wonder um, if you've ever wondered, uh, how come it's so hard to find uh, examples of uh, what we would call a healthy family in the Bible? I think, as soon as I read it, it's a lot easier to find stories of dysfunctional families. Uh, families that seem to have these really harmful actions, uh, quite simple, simple attitudes and often uh, living in states of quite deep pain than it is to find families which demonstrate high levels of health and high levels of harmony. And there are so many examples uh, of this. Last year I shared about the story uh, of Joseph, you know, the one with the psychedelic coat, not the one whose son turned out to be God, and how the dysfunction of both his grandparents and parents which played out in um, damaging favoritism. This was the generational theme, uh, one of damaging favoritism. This chased him halfway across the ancient Near East from uh, prison to position. And so today uh, we're going to revisit the family of King David, who was such a focus in Jesus' genealogy that we explored in December uh, when we started our journey through Matthew's Gospel. And David is really a challenging uh, figure. And he's a person of great contradiction. And if we are brave enough, we'll find something in the story of the great king who was not really ever a candidate for father of the year. And it helps answer the question, why is the Bible so loud on sinfully dysfunctional families and so quiet on harmonious families? The answer, I think, is is simple. Most Families aren't harmonious, at least not in every 
uh, area of family life. And humanity is not harmonious. We live alienated lives in many cases, alienated from God and, and from each other. We, we live with frayed edges, frayed edges that threaten the integrity of the whole cloth, whether it's us or our families. Frayed edges tell us that the stability and the integrity of the whole is not guaranteed. In fact, if you start pulling on the loose threads, the whole thing might just come apart. Well, I'm really grateful uh, that tonight we have uh, Sarah Smith joining us. Uh, Sarah is uh, not only a nominee for Servant Leaders uh, this year, but she's also uh, a counsellor in private practice and also in the public sphere and has, uh, for a number of years, done counselling on contract uh, for Session Community Trust. So uh, good to have Sarah with us uh, to help through us through. Well, let's pray as we continue uh, with the story of David. Father God, as we uh, dig around in our own past, uh, we will discover um, that there is joy and pain, that there is uh, the, the weaving of family that is solid and strong and that which is frayed at the edges and coming apart. And so we ask that you would uh, give us your grace, that you would give us your comfort and peace, and also that you would give us the spirit of truth, that we might see things as they are, but that we would see them uh, in the knowledge of your presence and with the reality of your comfort and peace with us. Uh, so give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So David really is a tough one uh, for us. And I think, put simply, how does a man who is who's described by the prophet Samuel as a, as a man after God's own heart live in such a reckless way towards others? This great king and warrior, this transparent uh, psalmist, and yet a conflict-averse father who allows deep injustice and revolution to sit unchallenged in his family. And in this passage that uh, Steve just read to us, uh, I thought he actually brought the spirit of the prophet Nathan just a little. I was starting to get a little bit worried myself. Um, David is the subject of some very heavy discipline uh, from the prophet Nathan. Uh, and it's in the context of a, a, a scandalous abuse of power. An abuse of power that leads to a sexual encounter with Bathsheba, which at least appears to me to be devoid of any real consent, and the death of her husband, Uriah, uh, in circumstances that really lay the blame directly uh, at David's feet. So what are we to do with a guy like King David? Uh, are we to just mindlessly glorify him or to vilify him? And certainly there are plenty of uh, instances of, of both extremes uh, being used in assessing him. And what are we to make of his family? Sibling rape, sibling murder, revolution against their own father. What David sows as a young man, he reaps in his later years. And I'm left, I'm left wondering, what was it about David? Was it... Was it David's place in the family as the youngest? You know, as an, as an oldest child, you know, I'm aware of the softness of some of the younger ones. Uh, was it the way in which he was uh, marginalized and ridiculed by his older brothers that led him to assert himself in, in what really seems like quite a narcissistic way? Was it even his mixed race as a descendant of, of Ruth the Moabite that 
that impelled him to, to really prove who he was by taking out Goliath, the Philistine. Or do you think he protests too much? Uh, was his recklessness um, at times a, a real sign of his inner lack of confidence? At times he did some crazy, crazy things. Um, was it the way his loyalty was questioned by King Saul that led him to dismiss his own boundaries? And King Saul was a crazy coot, and, uh, and King David didn't always follow uh, any differently. Was it, was it low self-esteem or, or was it fear that caused David to operate in such conflict-averse ways uh, within his family? Did he, did he perhaps hope to be a different father than his father Jesse, uh, who, 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 after, who presented all of his sons to the prophet Samuel when he came calling to anoint a king to replace Saul? He presented all of his sons Except they, who, who wasn't even remembered until they got to the last one, and then it was recalled that he was with sheep. Like many of us who um, seek to avoid those things in our parents that we don't want for ourselves, we still seem to reap the whirlwind very often. David carried this, these experiences of childhood. This became downstream dysfunction in his parenthood. And so we arrive in 1 Samuel 12 and the words of the prophet Nathan in verse 10. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And this course of dysfunction, which if you want to read it, jump into 1 Samuel uh, from uh, chapter 12 on and and you'll get a sense of just how deep and dark this period was. David's family will bear the marks of his upbringing. And yet God is not done with David. He neither only glorifies or only vilifies, but consequences do follow. There are consequences that follow his actions. And God continues to show his love for David uh, and in the way he shows his love for David, I think he shows what his love for us can look like in the face of our faithlessness. I think we look at David and we look for some kind of judgment. But we don't always look for that, for our own wrongdoing. And our families, I think, are much the same. Will we glorify them? Or will we vilify them? Or will we sit somewhere in the middle? See, a frayed piece of cloth is more than just a handful of threads. It still has uh, something to it. There's much love and uh, much to love and much to appreciate about the cloth that remains intact. But if we neglect the threads of, of frayed family life, it will unravel. We will unravel. So this week we're going to uh, try to identify and begin to deal with uh, afraid edges, the bits that threaten to undo us. And we're going to be walking you through some tools that you'll be able to journal with. Uh, so if you haven't got a, a session link journal, grab one from the back table. Uh, it's yours, uh, and uh, we'd love you to take it. Um, and also, uh, there are some really great uh, focus exercises in the workbook uh, that 
Uh, you're encouraged to action so that you can actually really squeeze the life out of this and take uh, what's uh, available. So uh, we're going to start with uh, uh, the first kind of area that, that um, you might be able to identify with and begin to see some of the, the frayed edges uh, in your own life. We're going to start with some fam family commandments. So, the, you know, you know the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt, thou shalt not, and so on. Well, there are commandments in our families that exist the same way. And beginning to surface some of those and understand them is one of the tools that can help us, um, uh, that can help us uh, walk our way uh, uh, through this. And so the first one uh, should be coming up on the screen. Hopefully it's going to be real. Um, the first one is, is the, the family commandments that often exist around money. And so in some families, money is the best source of security. The more money you have, uh, the more important you are. And, and that money is, in a, in a sense, a way of keeping score. Uh, there are other commandments that exist around money. Uh, that's just one of them. Sarah, I know you love conflict. Um, do you want to take the next one and talk to us a little about the family commandment of conflict? Yeah, it's fascinating how families build stories and ways of operating. Conflict can go all over the place. Like some families, how you deal with conflict is the loudest voice wins, or the last word wins. And they'll follow you to the toilet shouting to get the last word. You know? um, and then there's other families that have that seething silently, and you know someone's angry because they're not talking. Yeah. Uh, other family commandments exist around uh, some of those topics that we do want to keep down uh, quiet, and that's, and that's the topic of sex. Uh, so for some families, it's never spoken about openly. And so a climate of, of it, it's somehow wrong or it's somehow dirty is, is the climate that, that is uh, taken in the family. Or, or the kind of um, slightly dated sort of view that it's okay for, for men and boys to be promiscuous, but it's not okay for women. And some of this stuff sits in our families, uh, not just in our generation, but in generations past. And also in the wider social stories, you know, and cultural stories, not just in families. I know you're dealing a lot with uh, uh, grief and loss and some of the counselling work you do. What are some of the family commandments that you come across? I think um, lots of people have a thing about grief being a real private thing. You don't cry in front of people because that's it being a nuisance or trying to get attention. Or So a lot of people do their crying in the dark by themselves. Um, so they don't get support. They don't get comfort. They don't get that normalising conversation with someone. Oh, I felt like that once too. Because crying is a private thing. Grief is a private thing. So this is just a kind of a taster. There are 10, including uh, how people deal with anger, uh, how they relate to family, how relationships play out, uh, the attitudes towards other cultures. That's a really interesting one. Uh, how to think about success, uh, how to deal with feelings and emotions. So these different commandments are all there in the workbook. Uh, we'll try to make uh, some of this material available uh, if you don't have a workbook. Uh, but again, you'll get the most out of this if you jump on a workbook and uh, take the opportunity to work uh, through some of these. The idea of these family commandments is to begin to orient yourself to what does your family actually say and believe about some of these areas, because they're more shaping uh, than you might uh, realize. Uh, we're gonna uh, talk a little bit about how, how we understand our family of origin uh, and some of the signposts that, uh, that exist, and in particular kind of get into grips with 
The sort of stuff that we see in David's story. There's a phrase that you'll sometimes hear, the sins of the father. Which is actually a biblical, uh, has a biblical uh, origin. And it's talked about in Exodus 20 and in Numbers 14. Uh, and it's this idea that generational sin can pass down uh, the generations. Now, whether you experience this as some kind of unwanted spiritual inheritance uh, that needs addressing, or whether you experience this as a more practical reality, um, it certainly seems to play out this way uh, for a lot of families. And what happens in our family of origin influences how we live. I'm an exceedingly messy uh, person. But if the house gets too messy, I find myself kind of living... Oh, hi, Mum. I find myself living out the very practical and helpful guidance I got to keep tidy at home. Uh, I find myself beginning to shake uh, with anxiety. Uh, and this is how it, was, how it played out for David and his family. Uh, these things uh, revisited them. As a lawyer, I saw... Uh, a lot of a lot of first-hand intergenerational sexual abuse happening in families, and this was in a in an era where we were trying to place kids with Fano, but to do so might mean that we were unable to keep the family uh, the child safe. Uh, really difficult uh, issues, really uh, hard to balance out, and, and sometimes you just couldn't place children with family and keep them safe. It just wasn't possible uh, to do that, and so. Uh, none of us can really escape this. Um, uh, Pete Scazzaro has a, a really toy little phrase which goes, uh, Jesus uh, may be in your heart, but granddad is in your bones. Uh, it's the sense that we can't necessarily ex escape. Uh, uh, if we don't look at the frayed edges of this, we can't escape uh, some of what's in our past. So we're going to uh, explore some of the tools that will help us understand uh, this for our own family background. And Sarah's going to uh, take us through some some different patterns of relating. And these are broad brush, uh, but this is, this is a tool that you'll be able to use in an exercise later this week. Uh, some broad brush patterns of relating that can help us understand how our family uh, background works. Thanks, Sue. Cool, so in, in the workbook book, there's an exercise called a genogram where you sort of map out your family tree. And one of the things you do is you look at the quality of relationships between all these people in your family tree, and you're looking at um, level of conflict, and you're looking at are there cut-off points where they don't talk to each other for weeks or months or years, you know. We laugh at this stuff when we see it on TV, but it's happening in our families. Um, another one is the enmeshedness of some families, where you just expect it to operate exactly the same way as everybody else. Otherwise, you upset the matriarch or the patriarch. Or, and that can be really problematic when kids are individuating and needing to figure out how they're wired and have their own timetables and it might not fit. Um, and this huge pressure um, in, in the ways of relating between each other. Or you might have um, great intellectual conversations but zero emotional contact with someone in your family. Like you can talk about the rugby or you can talk about the news or COVID but you can't talk about how scared you are about something or how sad you are about a loss or an adjustment you're making. Like just different levels of connection and severed connection. Um, and so that genogram stuff is just amazing. 
an amazing exercise to do because when you look at the long lines of patterns, you suddenly see, hmm, do I want to be part of repeating this? Is this part of something I want to buy into? Or is this something that I want to stop with me? Yeah. Uh, you'll see that last category there of abuse. Uh, Melissa touched on this last week when we were talking about how to manage uh, expectations that are unreasonable uh, but not agreed. Uh, and uh, this is also a reality in our family histories. Uh, and some of it's um, historic in the sense that it's not happening anymore, but it has happened to us. And in some cases, it's happening uh, to people right now. Uh, so this is where stuff gets real, really fast. Um, and if, if you find yourself in that situation or you're aware of someone else who's kind of struggling with that, uh, do, uh, do talk to someone. Uh, you can talk to, in the first instance, to, first instance to Melissa or myself uh, or Sarah and uh, we can help uh, get you oriented uh, towards um, some support. Uh, but this, this stuff will actually bring things up. Uh, otherwise, we're just kind of playing, right? It, it doesn't actually really bite, uh, whether it's because you've been in an environment of low uh, empathy and emotional support, uh, whether, whether you've been in a high conflict environment, or whether, whether you've actually been in an environment uh, which has become, to be abu become abusive, uh, whether psychologically or physically. So let's, uh, let's not, as much as we can, let's not push that down. Uh, and if we need help and support, then let's, let's make sure we, we get that. Um, so these patterns of relating are one kind of uh, signpost to understanding our families. Uh, the next uh, kind of signpost is as we begin to discern generational themes uh, that exist. So these may flow out of some of these patterns uh, of engagement. Uh, or they may be uh, things that... Uh, uh, come about as you look at the relationships and some of the ways that things have happened in the same way in similar uh, generations. And this can be uh, anything from uh, abuse or divorce or addictions or great loss, uh, a number of things that you might see played uh, out. We were actually talking about a generational theme um, that is kind of uh, something that came out for you as you were negotiating the certain leader nomination, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with us. Yeah, um, any time I'm involved in any conversation about any leadership role in a church, I have all this background stuff that goes off for me because I was really, really taught that it was not okay for women to be in leadership in church. It's okay for them to be in crash looking after the kids or to arrange flowers or to make the tea, but it ain't. Ain't it all right? And and really, um, intellectually, I've read books and I've sort of got the theology now to know that's actually not right. <laughs> but it's in my bones. So it still comes up. It goes, ooh, ooh, morning, you know? And I have to re, yeah. I have to re-go there and go, oh, yeah, that's right. We've talked a about that. He said that, and it's all good. <laughs> but it's there. It's always there. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that, sir. Um, so that's another thing to look for, these generational themes that influence behavior. Uh, another one um, uh, is the idea of earthquake events. So these may not be things that you can see appearing multiple times in generations, but these are perhaps one-offs that have really shaped a family in a significant way. 
Uh, and there's a bunch of different things that can be, whether it's illness or economic collapse, maybe there's been a premature death in the family, uh, maybe uh, you've immigrated, uh, moved country or moved within a country, some kind of family breakdown or abuse, or divorce. all of these things uh, can, be, can be these landmark earthquake events that really shake the family. Now, one from my own family would be uh, when my dad was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis while us kids were still really young. It was an earthquake event for our family. As my mum became the breadwinner, as my dad had to adopt a, a posture that was more domestically oriented uh, in, a, in, a, in a season, a cultural season when that wasn't really the way people were. Uh, and then as the oldest child, um, I had to assume some of the the roles that a dad might have done around the house, uh, just in terms of, of doing chores. It's a real, real earthquake event, and you can't pretend that that sort of stuff doesn't make a difference to who you are. It's not all bad. Um, I look back on it with, with some level of affection for what it did for our family, but I also know it, it, it caused us issues as well. And, uh, you know, mum, anytime you want to send the counselling money over, I would be much appreciated. Um, uh, so, earthquake events. Uh, so these three things together uh, are a part of how we, how we can look at our family and, and, and use the exercise of the workbook uh, in our journals to, to actually try to get a sense of what are some of the threads that have, are fraying in our own lives, in our own families, that actually are, have, have a, a tied off to another part of our family's uh, life. But it's not just about diagnosing uh, how negative it all is and how difficult it all is. Um, Actually, uh, what this series is about is using the insights that we generate to begin to move towards uh, a place of healing. This whole course is about, this whole series is about that. This exercise, I think, is one of the most important that you do. And that's why we do it early, and it plays out across um, the whole series as you add insight uh, to insight. And so, in a sense, uh, we have this opportunity uh, to, uh, some of these things are not our fault. Many of them are not our fault, but we have the opportunity uh, to move forward from them, to experience healing, uh, to, and that's something that, that is our, our opportunity, our, our, uh, it's, it's for us to, uh, to jump into if, if we are able. Um, and so one of the things I want to say really, really strongly, if you are following Jesus, if you have uh, decided to be a part of his family, you are actually part of a new family. You are a child of God. And there is a possibility that God can reweave the fabric, that the edges can actually, where they're fraying away, that they can be restored, that healing can come. And so this is a part of our identity. We're not just children on the end of the chain. We are actually children of God. We are part uh, of the family of God. And discipleship, the art and maybe the science of following Jesus is in part a process of dealing with the sins of the Father. It's a, is in part a process that allows us to be healed of these things in our family life and in our own lives that continue to reach and pull us back into dark places. So this is, this is a part of what discipleship is, to experience uh, healing uh, in these areas. There's a phrase that I really like that Pete Scazzaro uses. He calls it the hard work of differentiation. Which is a fancy way of saying, the hard work of being different to what has come before. The hard work of, of seeking God and allowing Him to shape us, living with some of the pain that, that, is, that is a part of that experience, but trusting God's mercy and grace 
uh, and, and the community of people that you're a part of uh, to, to walk through that. So Sarah's talked about the geneogram, uh, which is, which is, it's actually a bit like genomic sequencing. So the whole thing with the genomic sequencing is it allows us to find the point of origin of the COVID-19 virus that variant that you have. Well, not that you have, but that, you know what I'm saying. And so you can actually trace which family of virus it comes from. And this is actually, so it's a great metaphor for what we're doing uh, here with the, um, the genogram, which is essentially a family tree that maps the patterns of interaction the generational themes and the earthquake events that allows you to draw some insight from how is it that your family tapestry got woven and why is it that it is fraying at the edges in some places. And so this is a tool um, that allows us uh, to do this in a way that hopefully a God can generate insight. And in the workbook you'll find that uh, the opportunity is to do it very prayerfully. Um, we're, not, we're not just doing psychology. We're actually asking God to, to, to help us to step through this process and that he would bring his aware, uh, awareness of how things really are, that the spirit of truth would actually speak to us. Uh, words of insight and words of comfort and words of peace uh, that we might begin to um, unpack some of the stuff that uh, holds us uh, prisoner. And so this is, uh, this is the dream of this series. This is, uh, this is part of uh, what this... Uh, this skill brings to us the ability to map our family relationships and to understand them in the light of what God's grace uh, would offer to us. Sarah, I wonder if you would pray uh, for all of us and all of us as we, as we go on this journey together. Papa God, we're going to be needing not just your truth, but masses of your grace as we go to scary places looking at family patterns and how they've shaped us in helpful and unhelpful ways. So we ask that your spirit would give us courage and we ask that your spirit would surround us with your love and that we would be tender with each other knowing that we might be exploring some things that are bringing up pain. Be with us in our talking, be with us in our exploring, be with us in the scary dark places, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. And thanks so much for sharing. You, you, Sarah has so much insight on all of this stuff. Um, uh, I'm quite glad I'm in a small group with her. Uh, we get the benefit of it for free. So if you could uh, thank Sarah for putting yourself out there tonight. I appreciate it. Can I just add to that? Um, quite often when people come to talk about um, an issue they're having in their current relationship, it ends up being a family pattern from that person's family and a family pattern reaction from the partner. And quite often people come to counselling and they're like, oh, I'm talking about this. <laughs> and it always reels back to these family patterns. And they're, then they're suddenly, a couple of weeks in, like, whoa, he totally does that because his mum and dad, that's it. And we're just living out our families. And those of you that are in partnerships will know this. Your family stuff comes up. <laughs>
Thank you, sir. You see what I mean? This is, you just get this on tap on a small group. So, awesome. Uh, one of the things we're going to do together is we're going to act out the reality uh, that we are part of God's family. And we're going to do that uh, through this uh, meal of Holy Communion. So imagine that you've been away for a long time uh, from, from the family home. And uh, you're back in town. And what you really want is you want to sit down and have that amazing family meal uh, that your dad always used to cook for you. And so uh, this is the opportunity uh, to kind of come home to engage with God through Jesus, uh, to, to experience uh, in memory... His body broken and his bloodshed. But also to experience in the moment his sacrifice and love and acceptance and the presence that he wants to give to you as you move forward into your future. So as we come uh, to the table, uh, we come home. We come home for a family dinner because you are part of the family uh, of Jesus. 